sermon this morning comes from Galatians chapter 3. We'll be looking specifically at verses 3 to 5. Again, Galatians chapter 3, excuse me, verses 1 to 5. 1 to 5. And some of you may notice if you have the same version that I do, the English Standard Version, you'll notice that it, it looks like verse 5 just ends with a, with a hyphen there and that the rest of the sentence ends itself or concludes in verse 6 and so it appears that I've just cut this off in the middle of a sentence. Others of you who have other translations, the NIV, the New American Standard, you may see that it is indeed punctuated there at the end of verse 5 with a question mark and I'm following that line of punctuation uh, this morning. We'll, we'll conclude with verse 5 this morning. Here then, Listen attentively to God's word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is God's word. Let us join together in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask now that by your Spirit you would give us ears to hear that you would cause us to come before you with all humility and that you would cause us to warmly receive the word of God. Even though, oh Lord, these words are strong and they may be uncomfortable, we ask you, all of us, oh Lord, that you would enable us to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, for those of you who are not fans of The Lord of the Rings, please indulge me for just a couple of minutes. <laughs> but for those of you who are, for those of you who have read the books, for those of you who have seen the movies, you will probably agree with me, I hope you'll agree with me, that one of the most memorable scenes in that series, in the trilogy of books and movies, is the story of Theoden this king of Rohan who has fallen under a spell. Many of you will remember that at the beginning of the book of book two, the two towers, the fellowship has been scattered. They're all over the place. And Gandalf, the, the wizard, the gray, has fallen into the, the abyss. He's fallen into the pit. And for many of these members of the fellowship, they have lost hope. They don't know what to do. They're like sheep without a shepherd. But early in the book, The Two Towers, Gandalf has been restored. He's made his way out of the pit. He's fought against that dragon. And he returns to Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli the dwarf. And he tells them of what happened to him. And then he tells them that they have a dire need to ride into Rohan and to talk to this king, Theoden. There's trouble 
in the land. And when they arrive at the great hall of the king, they don't find a stout and mighty king. They find a withered old man who cannot stand up from his chair. He has a cane at his side. He is weak and he is helpless. You see, he had fallen under the spell of his trusted counselor, this man who was known by the nickname Wormtongue. And an appropriate name it was. He had fallen under the spell of this man who was in the service of the evil Saruman. And Gandalf himself swept into the king's hall and he spoke with great power and there were flashes of lightning and he silenced Wormtongue and caused him to crouch on the floor. And then he spoke to Theoden. And he said this, he said, Now Theoden, son of Thingol, will you hearken to me, said Gandalf? Do you ask for help? And he lifted his staff and pointed to a high window, and there the darkness seemed to clear. And through the opening could be seen high and far a patch of shining sky. Not all is dark. Take courage, Lord of the Mark, for better help you will not find. No counsel have I to give those that despair, yet counsel I could give and words I could speak to you. Will you hear them? And slowly Theoden left his chair. And a faint light grew in the hall again. The old man came down from the dais and and paced softly through the hall. And Wormtongue remained lying on the floor. Wormtongue had been betraying Theoden for years. And using the dark powers of Saruman, he had cast the king under a spell. And Gandalf continues on a few pages later. He says, And ever worm tongues whispering was in your ears, poisoning your thought, chilling your heart, weakening your limbs, while others watched and could do nothing. For your will was in his keeping. But just as the words of worm tongue, just as the worms of worm tongue had the power to bewitch Theoden, which they did, so the words of Gandalf had the power to free him to release him from this prison in which he'd been trapped. And I know this is fantasy, and I know some of you are going, what on earth is he doing up here this morning? What does the retelling of this story have to do with reality? What does it have to do with this passage this morning? We may not have evil sorcerers who are trying to put spells on us, but there are things in this world, there are forces, there are people who would love to ensnare you, And the great enemy himself seeks and would love nothing better than to cause believers in Christ to fall under his spell, under his bewitchment. We certainly face the seductions and the temptations that this world has to offer every single day. And just like Theoden, we can fall under the influence of poor counsel. Oftentimes, we will willingly give in. We'll pursue headlong any number of temptations that come our way. And so if you take nothing else away from this passage, this sermon this morning, take this away. That the Holy Spirit, by the power of God's word, has set you free. He set you free from enslavement. Do not again, then, fall under any spell. The Holy Spirit, by the power of God's word, has set you free from enslavement. Do not fall again under any spell which would seek to entrap you. Well, I've divided this passage up into three sections, 
And we'll look at all the verses, although not necessarily in order. So this morning we'll look at first the first section, which I've entitled, A Portrait of Christ. We'll look at the second section, which I've entitled, Alive by the Spirit. And the third section, Bewitched, but not Forsaken. Again, A Portrait of Christ, then Alive by the Spirit, and then Bewitched, but not Forsaken. So let's look at this uh, first section, A Portrait of Christ. The beginning of chapter 3 is a full-on broadside. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And if you've read through Galatians recently, if you remember back to that first month when we started looking at this, you'll recognize the tone here. It's very similar to the way that Paul spoke back in chapter 1, verse 6. There you'll remember he expressed his astonishment at how quickly the Galatians were, were falling away from the faith falling away from the gospel that he had preached to them, and they were turning to a different gospel. And here in our verses, in verse 1, he makes a similar point. After he says, oh foolish Galatians, what has bewitched you? What does he say? He says, it was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Before your very eyes. Paul, you see, is now taking them back to that first time when they encountered the Lord Jesus. He's taking them back to when they first met Jesus Christ. Now, he's not saying that they were present at Jesus' crucifixion. He doesn't mean by portrayed publicly as crucified that they were there. No, the Galatians were not there. They weren't present. And he's obviously not referring to a photograph. We know that photographs weren't, photography was not invented until the 1800s. So what is he talking about here? What does he mean when he says that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? Well, it's helpful to go to our elder brothers and our fathers in the faith who have gone before us, and there's few better than Martin Luther, who said about this passage that Paul means here a verbal picture painted before the hearer's eyes. A verbal picture painted before the hearer's eyes. It is a vivid description of the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus, you see, has been portrayed to them. He has been pictured to them, not by some sort of graphic image, but through words. Through words. Well, Paul himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, describes the gospel as the word of the cross. The word of the cross. And Paul is reminding the Galatians that the centerpiece of the gospel, the centerpiece, the center of it all, of your walk in the faith, is the cross of Jesus Christ, the death he died in your place, on your behalf, receiving the wrath of God, the judgment that you deserved because of your sins. Jesus Christ died for you, the eternal Son of God. Paul is reminding these people, the Galatians, of what first drew them to the faith in Christ in the first place. The preaching of the gospel by Barnabas and himself years before. He's he's drawing them back. He wants them to remember what it was like for them, what they heard, how they came to know the Lord Jesus. He's drawing them back to that firm foundation which was established by Christ, by God's word being proclaimed to them. Well, some of you might 
wonder, why on earth? If you haven't wondered this, I have for you. Why on earth would God choose preaching to be the primary means by which he offers salvation? Why preaching? Isn't film, isn't, aren't movies such a, uh, such a great medium to convey messages? Why preaching? Paul himself says that the preaching, what he preached to the Corinthians in Corinth was, was folly to those who did not hear. Foolishness. And he understands that preaching is a weak and feeble way of conveying salvation, of, of conveying the good news of the gospel. Why would God entrust the gospel to mere men, to feeble and frail people who are going to fail? Why would he do this? Wouldn't he have been better off entrusting it to angels like Gabriel and Michael? It would have made a lot more sense. These were much more faithful messengers than sinful men. Instead, he chose men like Paul. Paul himself says he did not preach with words of eloquent wisdom. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 1.17. Why? Well, Paul answers your question. So that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its power. God did not intend for you to be wooed by eloquent presentations. He didn't want you to be drawn in by the manipulative forces of the spoken word. He wanted you to be drawn in by the word itself, God's word, which has the power to call you to Christ. He didn't want you to fall under the trap of some man who has the ability to persuade you merely by the force of his will and by the force of his logic and rhetoric but by feeble and frail words, and by feeble and frail men. And so it is with words that Paul painted a picture of Christ. It was a portrait of Christ that was heard rather than seen. And it is ordinarily the hearing of God's preached word that leads to faith. Not exclusively. There are other means that God draws men and women to himself. But ordinarily, normally, it is God's preached word that has drawn the vast majority of you in this congregation to faith in Jesus Christ. And it, it is as Romans 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It may seem like such an inefficient method, but it was God who in his infinite wisdom chose to use this medium to bring his plan of salvation to you. Well, let's look now at this section that I've entitled Alive by the Spirit. <clears throat> In verses 2 to 5, you look at it. One, he's, he's letting them have it. 2 to 5, he asks a series of questions, and they center around a single subject, the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 2, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's back to the law again. The law versus faith. This is his main topic in this letter. But again, he's drawing them back to their birth, the birth of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding them of their receiving of the Holy Spirit. He wants them to remember what it was like when they first 
came to know the Lord Jesus. And you'll remember in the early church, when believers professed faith in Christ as a means of building up his church, God endowed believers with amazing powers of the Holy Spirit. These, these supernatural gifts that we look at back upon in, in Acts, and as Paul discusses them in his letters, these amazing gifts of the power of the Holy Spirit. It was undeniable, even to the untrained eye, even to those who may not have faith, what was taking place in the Christian church because of these powerful gifts. <clears throat> well, Peter uses an argument in Acts chapter 11 and in Acts 15 that was very similar to what Paul is arguing here, although from a different angle. Peter demonstrated first to the Judaizers in Acts 11 and then at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 that the fact that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit proved that they truly had been redeemed in Christ. They truly had received salvation. The Jewish people were doubting things. What's going on here among the Gentiles? And what did Peter do? He pointed to this remarkable reception of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Gentiles received. In verses 2 to 5, Paul is reminding them of their origins, the origins of their faith, in order to prove to them the uselessness of the law in salvation. And Paul speaks of miracles. He speaks of miracles in verse 5 that are proof of the Holy Spirit, proof that the Holy Spirit was given to them. And that was long before they were told they needed to observe the law in order to be saved. They didn't need the law for salvation. They don't need the law to complete their salvation. That's what Paul's trying to argue here. And you see, it was the Holy Spirit who made them alive in the first place. It was by the Spirit that they drew in the breath of life. It was by the Spirit that their ears were opened. They were dead, dead in their sins and trespasses. But it was by the Holy Spirit that they came to faith and that they truly came alive in Christ. And as Paul says in verse 2, they received the Holy Spirit by hearing with faith. By hearing with faith. They had those ears to hear that Jesus talked so much about in his public ministry. They were able to hear the words of life. Well, the answer to the first question that Paul asks the Galatians in verse 2 is obvious to the Galatian readers. Of course they received the Holy Spirit by hearing with faith, not by works of the law. They, they're going to admit that readily. And so Paul is going to start out with an obvious question, with an obvious answer, and then draw them along. Paul hopes to convince them that each of his other questions will be answered in a similar way. And so he asks them in verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And he hopes they will respond, no, just as we were made alive by the Spirit, we are also perfected in the flesh. He asks in verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain? He hopes that they will respond, we have suffered many things because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because we have become believers through the works of the law. In verse 5 he asks, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And he hopes they will respond by hearing with faith, not by works of the law. Did God do these miraculous things? He has repeatedly, he has over and over 
taking them back to the basics, back to the fundamentals. What do, batting, what, do, what do baseball players do when they're in a batting slump? They go back to the basics. They get their coaches to teach them how to, to, to perfect their swing. They go back to the basics. Basketball players go back to, I can remember Dean Smith over and over again drumming into the heads of his, of his players the basics, the fundamentals of the, of the sport. And Paul is doing the same thing here. He's drumming it into their heads, back to the basics. How did you get saved? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Through faith, not through works of the law. This is what he's doing here over and over again. And he was doing it because they had gotten away from the simple truth of the gospel. They had traded it in for this sophisticated system of self-reliance. They traded it in for a salvation that was based on their own works instead of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we do the same thing today, don't we? Don't you and I do the same thing today? We trade in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the completed work of Jesus Christ, and we try to add to it with our own works. Don't we? Don't we try to earn God's favor and salvation by the things that we do? We forget that everything that needs to be done for salvation has been done for us by Jesus Christ. He perfectly obeyed the law throughout his life. And he perfectly obeyed his Father's will by dying on the cross in our place. We don't have to do it again. After a few years of walking with Christ, you and I start to think that we can do it on our own. We get lazy, we grow complacent. Things become a little bit old to us. We want to have new things tickle our ears. We want to be enticed by different teachings. And that's what was taking place with the, the Galatians. We start to rewrite the history of our own salvation, don't we? We start to portray ourselves on the cross. We start to think that we're suffering and earning our own salvation. We do and do and do until we have heaped one big pile of works that are worthless and meaningless, that do nothing to save us from our sinful estate. And against all of this, Paul says, no, it was Jesus Christ who saved you. And it is Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, who will perfect you. On to the third section. Bewitched, but not forsaken. What is it that has happened to the Galatians? What has happened? What would cause Paul to yell, Oh, foolish Galatians, what has bewitched you? What has caused him to do this? Well, something has indeed bewitched them. You all know what it is. We've been talking about this now for two and a half or three months. It's not that someone literally had cast a spell on them like had happened to Theoden, but they had come under the influence of the Judaizers. All their talk of works of the law sounded pretty good to the Galatians. And they were slowly but surely being led astray. Bewitchment, it seems, can take on many different forms. It doesn't always come under the same guise. There are various ways in which we can become ensnared. For Adam and Eve, it was the words of Satan that bewitched them. They wanted to hear it. He told them what they wanted to hear. 
He enticed them to think that they could be just like God if they disobeyed God's word about eating the fruit. For Samson, it was confidence in his own strength. He thought he could never be defeated. And his arrogance led to his downfall. He thought that he was strong enough to protect himself from the schemes of the Philistines and Delilah, and he fell mightily. For David, the power of being king is what enticed him. The power, which so many times you've heard, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And for David, it had gone to his head. And so he thought he was able and strong, and when he saw Bathsheba, he gave into his own temptation and lust and fell into great and grievous sin. Well, the fact is that bewitchment takes many different forms, and you and I are susceptible to it. Because we rely on ourselves rather than God. There are all these different kinds of temptations that we face on a daily basis. And we are susceptible. We are simply not strong enough to stand on our own, to resist all of these things by ourselves. We rely on our own strength. We rely on our own intelligence. We think we're smart enough that we can outwit the devil. And we cannot. We think we, are, we have this great ability. And so we're easily led astray. But, like the Galatians, you have received the Holy Spirit. You may not have the gifts that were bestowed on those early Christians back in that first generation of the church, but you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you have those common gifts that come from receiving the Holy Spirit. Those gifts that we'll talk about toward the end of this book. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love, respect, all of those things. You have received those gifts. That is enough. And yet, you can be led astray just like the Galatians. You have been made alive to Christ. You have died to the flesh and to the law. And you have one distinct advantage over the saints in Galatia. You have God's completed and perfect word. All the Galatians had was the Old Testament. All they had was the law. Think about the Old Testament saints. Think about David. Think about Moses. Moses was writing God's word. David had a portion of God's word, but not all of it. We, look at we, how, how, how beneficial God has been to us by giving us his perfect and complete word. We do not need any more. Paul was writing God's word to the Galatians. It was actively coming to them, and yet they had not received it all. But you have received it. And God speaks to you through it. This is how he talks to you. That is why it is so important for you to read it and to hear it preached, to actively read it, actively hear it preached. Engage your minds. Wake yourself up. Keep going. Hear it with faith. And you will find, if you do this, that just as God spoke through David, spoke to David through Nathan the prophet, and God spoke to the Galatians through Paul, so God speaks to you through the Bible. It is his word. But like David, like the Galatians, you have got to hear. You have got to listen. You cannot turn away from God's word. Your heart has to be broken 
just like David's was when Nathan came before him and told him that parable of the sheep. How David's heart was broken. How his eyes were awakened to his adultery and to murder that he had committed. But he had to hear it. When you read, oh foolish Galatians, you've got to hear, oh foolish me. What has bewitched me? You've got to be willing to hear it. Because if you don't, you stand in danger, like the Galatians, of becoming bewitched. You've got to hear it. You've got to listen attentively. You've got to be willing to put yourselves in the ugly places described in Scripture, not just to identify yourselves with the heroes of the faith. In fact, all the heroes of the Bible, all the heroes of the faith, have great big blemishes on their records, except for, the, for Joseph, Jacob's son. We don't have any record of him actually committing any sin, but I can guarantee you, because of the fact that he was a human being, that he sinned. When we read this passage this morning, do we hear it as if Paul was speaking to us? Do you hear it? Do you say, Paul is speaking to me? Do I listen to it this way? And is our heart cut? Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Galatia. Those, these were believers whom he was describing as foolish and wicked. But in God's providence, in God's sovereign will, in God's ordination of all that comes to pass, Paul wrote these words to you this morning and for your lifetime. Nathan spoke to David, a man after God's own heart, who was still able to fall into grievous sin, this sin of adultery and then murder. We must be willing to admit that we are all prone to error. We are all prone to stumbling. We must not become so arrogant that we, that we cannot see our own sin when it's staring us in the face. But thankfully, God has not left us alone. He has not left you as orphans to fend for yourselves in a world which will tear you limb from limb. God uses the very same words that he spoke to David. God uses the very same words that he spoke to the Galatians to speak to you. And so it is that you can be pulled back from the, from the abyss. You can be pulled back from the pit. You can turn your back on those sins which so easily ensnare you and turn to the Lord every single day of your life. God has not left you out in the wilderness to fend for yourselves. His grace brought you to salvation in Jesus Christ, and His grace will see you to the very end. And you just have to be willing to hear Him, to trust in Him. Jesus Christ died one time on the cross for all of your sins. His sacrifice did not stop. It did not cease to be effective at that point when you professed faith in Jesus Christ. It covers a lifetime of your sins. And so you have to be willing to hear his word for the rest of your life, not just at that point when you profess faith in Jesus Christ. But even then, you're still capable of being seduced by the world. You're still capable of being seduced by your own infatuation with yourselves. And just as God's word by the power of his Holy Spirit can bring you to salvation in Christ, so his word has the power to wake you from your slumber 
has the power to shake you out of your enchantment, enchantment to bring you from out, out from under whatever it is that has bewitched you. You are only required to have ears to hear. To hear through faith. Hearing through faith will cause you to, to be embraced by the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, God the Father himself commands you. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen indeed to the words of life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, O Lord, we who are sinners, we ask that you would unstop our ears and that you would cause us, O Lord, to hear your words of life, to hear the glorious story, the glorious picture of salvation offered through Jesus Christ. And we pray, O Lord, that when we do, that you will cause us to walk in humble obedience to all that you have commanded. Because we love you. Because you have caused us to love you. But because you first loved us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.